welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. I'm Alex. I'm Julio, and thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Help promote the algorithm and spread the word. You can also find us on SoundCloud to subscribe and review. And don't forget to visit our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Follow us on Twitter at Contrarian Prime. And to like us on Facebook, visit facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. And if you have the willpower to keep up with our pretentious ramblings, you can follow us individually at Contrarian Alex for myself and at Avnio for Julio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Now, time for the podcast. All right, we are recording for Contrarian's Corner for the Nightmare on Elm Street 2010 version. The remake. The remake. Hello, and welcome back to the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex, joined as always by Julio. We are here in part two of our six-part mini-series on the, uh, the story of the remake, the highest highs and the lowest lows, or are they? <laughs> And as Julio mentioned, and if you had listened to our previous episode, you know we are here today to discuss the 2010 Michael Bay-produced Nightmare on Elm Street reboot, directed by Samuel Bayer. I do believe uh, uh, on previous episodes, I incorrectly uh, labeled Marcus Nispel as the director of this remake, uh, getting confused as he directed two of the other Michael Bay-produced uh, remakes in uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Friday the 13th. Marcus Nespel's agent reached out to us <laughs> and uh, Said, had, had some harsh words. I don't want my client's name anywhere near this fucking movie, all right? Marcus Nespel will appear later on in this uh, arc. Uh, will help us close. He will. It's a, the, the closing ceremony. It's a closing gala. But very much like uh, Mr. Nispel, Samuel Bayer here in a Michael Bay-financed world, uh, coming from the world of music video directing and also commercial directing. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about that in the second half of the podcast. But if this is your first time listening to The Contrarians here, uh, what we like to do is uh, we like to rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine. Uh, if it is your first time for listening, we do thank you for uh, clicking, downloading, doing what you do. So what you can expect uh, on our podcast is typically we'll find a movie that is highly rated on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, fresh, as they like to say, make a case for why it's not so great, then in the inverse, find a movie that's rotten, nasty green splotch, and make a case for the good in it. This does not always mirror exactly our feelings towards it. We're just here to prove that, uh, one, uh, the perceived way Rotten Tomatoes works is heavily flawed, and two, kind of just here to be assholes towards the cynical nature of a lot of people out there to begin with just having fun with the fact that art is subjective couldn't have said it better myself so yeah so we have contrarians corner where we play contrarians regardless of our feelings and real talk the second half of the show where we tell you how we really feel coming off of uh our previous episode which was recorded last night so julio and i watched these movies back to back definitely um lends itself to uh, readily accessible emotions feelings <laughs> You don't have to dig deep to, no. uh, to figure out how you're feeling while watching these movies. No. And shockingly, there's not going to be too much that differs here. My notes were fairly minimal for this. Got it all up here. So with uh, our remake here, we had the original Nightmare on Elm Street yesterday uh, on our previous episode, which was 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. The remake here that we're looking at, A Nightmare on Elm Street, starring Jackie Earl Haley, 
released in 2010, stands at a meager 15% on the old RT. So definitely did not set the world on fire. Julio, what were the critics saying about this movie? Well, lots and lots and lots of green splotches. It was hard to pick only four. I could have picked ten. Uh, Emmanuel Levy from EmmanuelLevy.com says, There's really no reason to see this dreadful picture. Better to rent a 1984 feature. Which we did Direct. yesterday. Direct and to the point, yes. <laughs> uh, Dave White from Movies.com says, This is even less inspired and imaginative than the Friday the 13th reboot and makes Rob Zombie's Halloween films feel like the work of an auteur. My God. Just bringing, bringing Rob Zombie That's out. That's all he... <laughs> You know, you just hear the the solemn <laughs> from the back of the room. Yeah, you said it all, brother. <laughs> uh, Jake Wilson from the Age Australia says, compared to the flamboyance of Robert England in the 1980s, Jackie Earl Haley as the crazed Freddy Krueger is more lumbering man-child than demonic daddy. Then what? Demonic daddy. Okay. I mean, is that what England was going for? <laughs> demonic daddy. I, I Went over know. my head, if that's the case. Um, finally, Amy Simon from Three Imaginary Girls says, Dear makers of this thing, you guys are doing it wrong. So much so that I want to get you in a room and say, I don't believe in you. You're not real until you disappear. Fair enough. Not quite sure if that strategy is going to work out, but I mean, be that as it may. It's an easier way of, of making your point, which is just don't give them your money. Don't go to the movies. But then you would miss out on this masterpiece. Oh, and a lot of people did go to the movies. This was this movie uh, broke the bank for all intents and purposes, which we'll get into in the second half. But let's just get right to it. Our remake here of Nightmare on Elm Street begins not unlike the original in a dream sequence. This one kind of flips the script, though, as we're not dealing with a, a lady here. It's a man. The grizzled, bags-under-the-eyes man that clearly hasn't slept in a while. This... Uh, it did more to help me as a viewer understand that this was a dream right away as opposed to the original where it was very confusing for the first 10 or so minutes. You knew it had to be a dream because there's no way that that a blonde, attractive man would be in danger in the real world. Exactly. <laughs> the year was 2010. We were kind of towing with changing some horror tropes. So Dean is this character's name, is just lollygagging around this diner. Uh, Freddy pops out pretty quickly. It seemed like it was a while before we saw him in the original. It's almost like... They know what we're here for. They get to the point. Well, yeah. What's the director's name, David? Samuel Bayer. Samuel Bayer traveled forward in time, listened to our episode (laughs) that we did in the original Nightmare on Elm Street, wrote down notes, went back, and basically made the movie we were asking for. For better or for worse. Dean snaps out of it. He's at this diner um, in Springwood, Ohio. We do get a shot of the Ohio State flag, which I appreciated at one point in the movie. He's pounding coffee, just trying to stay awake. He looks like absolute shit. The waitress uh, at the diner is none other than two-time Academy Award nominee Rooney Mara, who is playing the role of Nancy that we spoke of endlessly yesterday. In, um, now in, in, in... Heather Langenkamp. In the real world... She's playing the role of Johnny Depp, I guess. The star that's that's about to burst oh, into yes. the world. But again, this movie's like a sped up version because that took it was like six months later. She was The movie's not even over and and Rudy Maris already getting an Oscar nomination. Yeah. The credits were rolling and Fincher had her cell number. He saw an advanced screening of this and he's like, 
this is it. I've, I've got my I've, girl. I've got, I've got my 10 minute opening sequence. <laughs> Dean is falls back asleep at the table. He is killed by Freddie. It's made to look like a suicide. So already a bit more interesting and um, plausible, plausible and a nice tilt to put on it. Because, of course, we deal with suspected murder uh, in the original. But here it's made to look Freddie's making it look like this dude killed himself as yeah. to not arouse suspicion quite yet. See, here it makes sense that people wouldn't be suspicious right away, that people wouldn't freak out. This is just like some dude that looked like he was a junkie and suddenly he stabs himself in the throat. Mm-hmm. Make checks out. Move on. Next case. You know, I could totally buy the cops, just they have better things to do. I wish we got a shot of Rooney Mara saying, well, I guess he's not going to (laughs) tip. We cut to Dean's funeral. I did appreciate that, at least here uh, from the jump, we get a funeral. As in the original one, Tina wasn't important enough to get a funeral. Only Rod. I guess in this uh, (laughs) franchise, it's only the men are important (laughs) enough to get funerals. Well, it's also, uh, we're in the 2010s, so the little... Put on town that from the original nightmare. I mean, they could only afford one. It's a thriving economy. <laughs> exactly. This is the Obama years. <laughs> what Every- recession? <laughs> Everybody gets a funeral. I did notice Freddie's knives were gold. <laughs> Dean's funeral. Chris is our lovely blonde young woman that uh, basically supplants the role of uh, Tina. Plays. She's a cosplay of Tina. And the only thing that she's missing is the name. Yes, exactly. She watched this all happen, and she believes that someone did it to him. She doesn't doesn't think uh, he did this to himself. Uh, Nancy, Rooney Mara, believes her for no real plausible reason. Well, but they're all having the same dreams. Have they discovered that yet? They Well, Rooney Mara says she finishes someone's sentence. Like okay, yeah, I think uh, Tina, new Tina, who I just I kept thinking Black Canary because she plays Black Canary in the Arrow show on the CW. Black Canary says something about how like this guy with, and then Rooney Mara says knives. Yes, and then the connection is made. Katie Cassidy, yeah, and so she believes uh, Rooney Mara, Nancy, that is believes what's going on. Uh, Distinguished actress Connie Britton, who plays Nancy's mother, Mrs. Coach, chimes in. No, 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 no. There's nothing to worry about here. It was just a suicide. He was real mixed up. Let's go home. <laughs> she is such a good actress, Connie Britton, that you can you can buy both things at the same time. One that the kids wouldn't think twice about, you know, just her moving things along. But she's also able to show us, the viewers, that she's hiding something. Yeah, you can see the lies behind her eyes, even if her children can't. Uh, Nancy, because it says so, is targeted directly by Freddie right away. And we get our first of endless homages to the original. What I appreciate is that the the director, and I'm going to keep forgetting his name. So let's say Michael Bay was calling the shots here. Just Sam. Sam. So Sam, uh, he knew what the audience wanted, but he also knew what the audience needed. So the audience wanted fan service. You know, they want recreations. He gives of, you not uh, what you need. He gives you what you want. He gives you both, Alex. Because first, he will he will use the homages like like here, right? Uh, where Nancy is in bed, and you have that that shot of the wall behind her. Suddenly, mm-hmm. Freddie kind of sort of morphing out of the wall and almost attacking her. But with an upgrade. 
it's CGI, so it looks even better than the, the practical effects used in the Wes Craven exactly. original. And also, there's no crucifix. So they they did away with all the religion bullshit because they never it never paid off in the original anyway. So this isn't your grandpa's Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> yes, we moved past religion in horror movies. Uh, if you're not gonna do an exorcist movie, then just don't bother. But what it does is it uses the every time it has a callback to the original movie, approximately every ninety seconds to two minutes. I would say about five minutes. Okay, because it will have the callback and then it'll use that as a springboard to go. To into be a fair, that's just a. a, a they're parceled out through one segment of the movie because by the end, there's no callbacks. It's all OG material. <laughs> they had to get through. Well, that's the other. The beauty of it is that maybe about halfway through the movie, when when stuff gets really dark, then they know that the audience no longer cares about callbacks because now they just want to know how the real story ends. Yeah. So, but but here, every time that they'll they'll have some sort of image that that references the original nightmare. Then they use that to go off into their own little adventure in Dreamland, right? So uh, maybe this one is the one exception. Correct. <laughs> but after that, every time that there's something, you know, later on they recreate the, the moment where Nancy sees Tina in a body bag. And and then so you go, ah, yeah, just like in the original movie. But then that sequence goes off into a different direction. So it's uh, it, you kind of get the best of both worlds. You get the fan service and then you get new stuff. Speaking of callbacks, throwbacks, homages, parodies, tributes, what have you, uh, Chris, Tina, uh, has her boyfriend, Jesse, Rod, over to stay the night because <laughs> her mother is a stewardess and is going to be out of town. So uh, wouldn't you know who won the pony? She is killed very much in the vein of Tina from the original. We get the... Uh, all jesting aside about the replication of the death... Uh, Katie Cassidy is the actress's name. And yeah, Black Canary. Our, our buddy Sam, the director, you know, he really did her a favor here because the original has the whole rotating room, whereas this was clearly just all wire work and, you know, really took it easy on the actress. So well, yeah, we an have improvement the technology. for the viewing audience and those involved. Yeah, it, it's it's really, it would be selfish to just, in the name of, of what? Of, of uh, respecting the original sequence or whatever, to really put... The, the cast and crew through unnecessary harshness. We have the technology, we have the means. There's no need for people to, you know, cut themselves and like really hurt themselves just to make it look realistic on yeah. the screen. We have we have the means. We can we can just do it. The CGI is here and it's here to stay and it's here to stay over. <laughs> so I'm fine with that. And also just the way there's a perfect example of what I was saying earlier, because it starts with what's basically it's not a carbon copy because it's better shot, but it's just basically the same sequence of the girl floating from the bed and the, the boyfriend, in this case, I guess it's her ex-boyfriend, mm -hmm. uh, just freaking out about it. But then it kind of shows us what we wanted to see in the original. What goes through the through the head, the, the mind of this guy that just bolts, right? Yeah. And, and it improves the scenario because in the original, you had, uh, he had two friends in the house. He had Johnny Depp and... Uh, and the original Nancy, and he could have just told him, hey, this just happened. But here it's just him and her, and it really looks like he's guilty in yeah. this case. So He's, he's a, a youth out past curfew running around <laughs> covered in someone else's blood. Right. So this time you get to see him leave the house, accidentally set the alarm off, the dogs start barking, yeah. <laughs> the neighbor sees him. Like Everything actually makes sense, it, and he gets caught almost right away. I mean, he has time for a stop with uh, Rooney Mara, but overall, it... 
the whole thing is much better than how in the original he he disappears very quickly. Nobody knows where he is, but then the Secret Service that's trailing Nancy <laughs> catches him. <laughs> and tries to shoot him. Yeah. You know, speaking of all these things we see and are revealed, this is our first real look at uh, Freddy, Jack Earl Haley. Uh, and this is a new Freddy for a new millennia. This is a, a new Freddy for a new time. Not your cartoony Robert England Saturday morning cartoon Freddy Krueger. No, this is... This guy looks scary. This here is scary. real. <laughs> this, this makes sense uh, uh, as far as... With the original Freddy, it almost makes you think, how could they not know they were dreaming? Yeah, because that guy's ridiculous. That he doesn't exist in the real world. But but new Freddy, I buy it. <laughs> he looks like like a psycho that you could just find uh, somewhere in a dark corner in the real world. So also the 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 shtick of the original Freddy kind of gets pretty repetitive very quickly. All he does is kind of like come out from behind a tree and go like boo. <laughs> and this Freddy, he's a little more versatile. There's sometimes where he's just pretending to be a teacher. And he's like writing on the blackboard, and sometimes he's uh, playing hide and seek with with them, and he's counting while he covers his eyes. He, he gets more to do, and he has a scary voice. He do he most definitely does. He's got the Christian Bale Batman voice. You know, some would say it say was, my name. It, some would say it was a bit lazy and predictable for Jackie Earl Haley to just exactly replicate the Rorschach voice from Watchmen, but. I would say it's bold and brave because you don't expect him to be lazy. It's actually, it's the perfect acting tool. You already have something that you know it works, then just use it Use it again. He doesn't look like Rorschach. So if anything, it fucks with your head even more. Jesse, when he's arrested, he screams, Nancy, you know who did it? Because he knows that they're all having these reoccurring dreams. But Jesse, you know, we uh, lamented and moaned about the... Uh, police force in Springwood or the name of the city. Forgive me if I am butchering that. But when they had Rod, they just kind of held him in the drunk tank. Here, Jesse just goes straight to prison. No trial. Maximum security. He's locked in a cell that's, you know, the size of a, a large locker with another gentleman that presumably has done some serious shit to end up there. They wheel him through the corridor like he's Hannibal Lecter. He's already tied to a gurney. It has the... the muzzle yeah so he's got his orange jumpsuit and he's he's just in there fortunately for him he's not in there long because he falls asleep inevitably and is killed by uh freddie in his dream you said this was to you not necessarily a throwback to a nightmare movie but more reminiscent of a chest burster in oh uh, yeah that, that kill is pretty awesome we complain about the weird escalation and lack of escalation in the original where you have the really gruesome tina death and then you have the really lame Rod death and where he just the sheets come to life <laughs> and and hang him here it's it's pretty cool it's once again it, it does a really good job of mixing the elements of the original with new stuff because uh Jesse falls asleep in prison in his cell wakes up or well, goes into the dream into this sort of factory setting that we like a boiler room type yeah thing. which yeah. we kind of recognize from uh was it nancy's dream in the original where she burns herself to wake yeah. herself up and so in a way you're almost expecting him to do that you're like oh this sequence is going to end with him burning himself and waking up but that never happens nope uh instead he gets to see just like more gruesome stuff so there's that escalation where he sees his two dead friends so far the dude that died at the beginning and then uh new tina black canary they're hanging their bodies are hanging in the corner and then 
this amazing exchange happens where he says something like, oh, God, why? And then Rorschach says, there's no God here, just me. Already into this, we're maybe halfway through. And Nancy and Quentin, who we haven't even talked about Quentin yet, you kept saying this actor's name. Who's it? Kyle Gallner? Kyle Gallner. If you're a Veronica Mars fan, then you know him as the creep from season two. Oh, yeah. I don't want to spoil uh, season two for anybody because he plays a big part in the mystery, but you know who he is now. Yes. Yeah. Much younger, obviously. Yes. <laughs> uh, he's also in uh, Red State. The Kevin so Smith mixed movie. up in there. <laughs> uh, but they're the only ones left. They're starting to strategize what the fuck they're going to do. Quentin is uh child that was diagnosed with ADD, so he has these pills that kind of help him stay awake. So he's just fiending off those. Uh, you had to explain this to me because they know his name by now. How did they learn his name? Because uh, there's one of the dreams where he has a name tag. <laughs> Frederick. <laughs> Hi, I'm Alfredo. <laughs> Yo soy Fernando. <laughs> uh, no, I think that somebody says his name at some point in one of the... the... Yeah, I didn't explain it to you, Alex. I, I posted it a theory. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought that's what would happen. You had said, like, they heard the nursery rhyme and just took his name from that. Oh, that was my guess. Yeah, oh, okay. that, that because it, the nursery rhyme includes his name. Doesn't it say Freddy's coming for you at yes. some point? So I'm, I'm thinking that might have been it. Or maybe uh, Connie Britton. She's such a terrible liar. She's like, no, there's nothing going on here. There's no Freddy. No Freddy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kyle Gallner, man of science, once again, plugging in a hole that uh, that was calling our attention in the original, right? We had the closest we had to somebody having some sort of scientific approach to this problem in the original is that guy that puts the electrodes on Nancy's head and monitors mm-hmm. her sleep. And, and then he completely drops the ball and doesn't follow through. Here, I like the explanation of the micronaps. That's, you know, Kyle Gallner at least does, it makes an effort to bring this together and make it sound kind of plausible and give it some sort of rules. It's not just that Freddy jumps in and out whenever he wants. It's that if you don't sleep, eventually your body makes you sleep even for half a second. And that's all he needs to fuck you up. So uh, that was, you know, it doesn't take that much. I wish Wes Craven had taken this long, you know, just an extra five minutes to put in one line of dialogue and and suddenly his movie would have been, you know, 10% higher in the tomato meter. (laughs) Nancy asks her mom, Connie Britton, do have we ever known anyone named Freddie? She says, no, I don't think so. But she's like <laughs> trembling and sweating profusely while she answers. And she leaves the room by walking backwards. She she <laughs> exits the room walking backwards. Eye contact not broken. Gets behind the door frame and then you just hear. <laughs> she goes into another room and presumably calls the fucking FBI or the CIA or something. Oh, Obama. She's just, <laughs> and she says she's starting to remember. Well, okay. So we had our four main kids. We have two left. and But then we only have three parents that are that we see sort of... Because, you know, we have Connie well, Britton. Connie Britton's a single mom. And then... And then there's the guy that's the principal yeah, in the school. Who's who, also uh, uh, Quentin's, Quentin's dad. dad. right? He's a well-known actor. I don't remember his name now. Uh, Clancy Brown? Yes. Clancy Brown. He's a principal. He's Gwen's dad. And then there's uh, Black Canary's mom who went away because she was a flight attendant, like you said. And then there's a guy that I I guess presumably is uh, Jesse's dad uh, who only shows up in the flashbacks. I don't think we see him. So I'm guessing she's calling Clancy Brown. He seemed like like the ringleader (laughs) out of that lynching crowd. 
Yeah, I was just verifying here that, yeah, there was a character that played Mr. Braun, who was Jesse's dad. So I think he was the one that was dishing out hot dollops of justice. (laughs) So she's starting to remember. It's the guy with the pitchfork and the KKK mask. (laughs) Oh, sorry. Wrong lynching. Uh, After all this has gone down, Rooney Mara decides it's time to run herself a hot bath. And you guessed it. Oh, yeah. How could you not? I mean, at this point. I I imagine that people would have been so disappointed if if they didn't get some sort of nod to probably the most iconic image of the original nightmare. You have a two-time Oscar nominee. Spread in the eagle. <laughs> Spread eagle. The glove of uh Fred Freddy Krueger comes up and it's cut off in a similar way. Uh it leads to another dream sequence though where Freddy's lured her to a preschool that she's vaguely familiar with. Some really creepy shit licks her face. Said you've always been my favorite. You were my first. Yeah, it, and it's it's impossible not to keep comparing. I wish I could just analyze this movie on its own as its own movie, but it's impossible not to keep calling out all the ways in which it's superior to the original, right? Because here it's almost like every every dream sequence, every nightmare that Freddy starts gets you a little deeper into the conspiracy, the cover up. That's in in the in the original. It's almost like a throwaway, just exposition dump. If you listen to the episode, you actually you might remember that I said that it was. There's no point. It, there's no effect to the big revelation of what Freddy Krueger's past is. Yeah, you know that uh, Nancy's mom just kind of gets drunk, spills the beans, and then the movie goes on, and it's, it doesn't really affect it. There's mm-hmm. no consequence to that. Uh, here, the movie is built around this mystery of what happened. With Freddy Krueger, why is he haunting uh, these kids? And uh, and even more importantly, because the movie assumes that most of the people watching it are familiar with what really happened with Freddy Krueger. Yeah, it even throws you a couple curveballs so that you don't you're not even sure if it's gonna be the same thing as in the original. So Nancy and Quentin find uh, a box of preschool pictures at Nancy's home. Uh, if this was something you would need to really cover up. You think you wouldn't leave these things out in the open for people to see. That's neither here nor there. Well, As Con- John Wayne would say, <laughs> then there wouldn't have been a movie. No, no, no. But see, it's Connie Britton. She's playing it much more low-key here. But she's a drunk in this movie, just like like Nancy's mom was a drunk in the original. It's the forbidden fruit. She's like, if you want it, go take it. <laughs> so Nancy and... <laughs> you have free will. <laughs> I'm just saying it's not a good idea. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, once you open this box, you can't uh, close it again. So she, Nancy, that is, finds these pictures, goes through them, kind of curses out her mom, says, "You're lying." What it's a happened? Pretty solid Oscar clip, I think. Yeah, right? would, would that be like Rooney Maris, or is it Connie Britton's? Mm. It's like a duel of titans there for for a couple minutes. It is, and poor. Kyle Gallner is just kind of chilling in the corner. He gets a couple cutaways, and it might have even like I think they recycled the same shot. <laughs> uh, but we get a flashback, a series of flashbacks with a voiceover from uh, Connie Britton explaining. And I don't want to go into too much graphic detail about this, but uh, ostensibly, Freddy Krueger was a groundskeeper who worked at or Fred Krueger who worked at this uh, preschool that all these kids went to. The kids that have been getting killed, the Bad Ham Preschool, Nancy and Quentin. And he abused and molested these kids. Yeah, the movie, so it's it's almost like what we said in, when we were doing the episode in the original, where we're like, 
the the movie basically tells you that Freddy's a pedophile and that's why the parents kill him. But then he goes around and jokes about it a lot. Whereas this movie, once that revelation happens, just nothing will ever be the same. And the movie gets really, really dark. It was already pretty dark before, but now it's just, it's almost oppressingly dark. And uh, it's, the movie toes the line of like, it basically lets your imagination do the heavy work, mm-hmm. but it tells you more than than the original did. And it's still, it never feels gratuitous or exploitative. It just, it just feels like it's taking it a lot more seriously. Nancy decides that they need to find the others, everyone that was in their preschool picture. So she's using the internet, another uh, technological revelation for this uh, reboot, as it were. She, she begins tracks. just Googling or um, giga blasting because Google is trademarked. <laughs> she begins giga blasting all these names of people that she's not in touch with any longer. And uh, they've all mysteriously died under uh, sleep circumstances. I'm so happy that uh, the, the one minority got to play a key role even if it was post-mortem. The Asian fellow? The Asian kid. I I was so happy that you pointed it out, first of all, because (laughs) I don't know if I would have noticed or if I would have found it as amusing if you hadn't pointed out ahead of time that there is an Asian kid just like right in the middle of that photo. So serious. It's almost like he knows what's going to (laughs) happen. And then then he turns out, because I said... After you pointed out, I was like, I wonder if we're going to see him again. Or I wish that we we were, you know, we'd see him again. Technology comes through in the clutch in this one, too, because she finds his video blog online and he's explaining, you know, I keep seeing this guy and he keeps leading me here. And it's like a video game strategy guide. He's explaining, like, you know, I think this is where you need to go to get the key. This is back when uh, YouTube have, had even laxer standards as for like what stuff they're going to keep <laughs> online because the, the last video ends with him dying. Basically, right? He crashes his head against a webcam or something. He was never seen again. It's still there. Years later. 250,000 views. Lots of... The ad revenue from that video. <laughs> off the charts. YouTube's just taking his piece of the pie. Blue Apron commercials beforehand. <laughs> well, it would be some sort of like sleeping pills or, you know. They... Oh, that'd be super meta if they advertised Hypnosil because that's the sleeping aid they use in there. Quentin, uh, during swim meet, because he's still doing sports while this is going on. He falls asleep underwater, which is always a bad thing. Never good. Even if Freddy Krueger is not around. He has a dream where uh, Freddy takes control, but shows him what really happened to Fred Krueger. And that's that the townspeople rode him out on a rail and uh, they trapped him in a barn somewhere and threw a Molotov cocktail in there. Basically explaining, you know, we're not going to go to the police. So I don't want to subject our kids to go through this stuff. That's right, because Connie Britton... Vigilante justice. Connie Britton, even when telling the truth, she couldn't go all the way. So she just said, oh, he just left town. I know it said they're in Ohio, but they must have followed him down to Texas, because this is Texas <laughs> justice right here. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, oh, my God. What's the name of the, the principal again? Clancy Brown. Yeah, Clancy Brown suddenly pulls up a cowboy hat, puts it on. It's like, get him, boys. <laughs> It's also kind of crazy because, like we just said, we're we're down to four parents that are you know that we kind of know, but when you get to see the actual mob that's that's going after Kruger, it's just like a whole the whole town. But with the torches and the what shotguns. needs to be exactly what needs to be not lost on this is that uh, Freddie here is portrayed as a sympathetic character that's you know right saying I didn't do it. Yeah, leave uh, me alone. That's a. Uh, uh, that's that, that 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 first twist. That, oh, dude, that hair! <laughs> but uh, if that if that hair doesn't say innocent, I don't know what does. 
get that hairdo to every uh, defense attorney during jury selection. So we have here also the, you know, I'm trying to think of something to equate it to. A scene in a movie where, you know, someone's armed with an iconic piece. Um, Batman, when he puts on the cowl for the first time and the reaction that we see from Alfred. uh, While these flames are surrounding Jack Earl Haley, he leaps into the air chest first and rips apart his jacket to reveal his iconic green and red sweater. Superman style. Chills. Yes. Looks like he's about to fly away. But instead, what this leads into is the most, I guess, the closest to mean-spirited of the uh, of the callbacks because you get to see Jackie O'Haley run towards the camera, completely engulfed in flames, recalling that moment towards the end of the original where... Uh, the the stunt man that they used for Robert England <laughs> was a much much larger man. <laughs> uh, clearly, you know, replaces him for the time when he's supposed to be in flames, engulfed in flames. So, CGI baby. Yeah, here it's, again, technology. Don't hate it. Because of this, Nancy and Quentin, and obviously sleep deprivation and many other drug induced issues, they think Freddie's an innocent man, and they think that their parents killed this innocent man. So they're looking for the cave as their stories as children, not even children, like toddlers, uh, was that he would take them down to the special cave and to be fair, do God knows what. It's not even that they think that, I mean, they think that he's innocent, but then when they went and confront Clancy Brown about it, he also acts like, yeah, we never found the cave, so we probably killed an innocent man. <laughs> It's who's better to have loved and lost than to never loved at all. <laughs> Listen, everybody makes mistakes and I love my children. <laughs> so they're looking for the cave. Um, what happens here? They end up in the hospital. How do they end up in the hospital? Oh, they, uh, so they run out of, uh, of pills. Yes. Kyle Goldner, uh, Quentin runs out of pills. His speed. His speed. So they stop at the, at the Walgreens and, uh, they won't refill his prescription cause he's out of refills. And, uh, and he's acting like you wouldn't give him pills, even if he had the refill. Yeah, <laughs> he's he's acting like really twitchy and everything. And uh, Rudy Mara is waiting in the car and having micronaps, so she decides to go find him. And while she's entering the Walgreens, that's when Freddy like attacks her again and cuts her arm. That's right, and she brings a piece of him into the real world because she brings a piece right. of his sweater. In. They tussle, and uh, it's kind of the equivalent of how in the original, uh, in the original Nancy brings a hat mm-hmm. and nobody reacts to it <laughs> here. She yeah, brings a nice his, magic uh, trick. <laughs> yeah. Here she brings a tiny piece of the sweater and Kai Gallner is like, Oh, okay. Let's file this away for later. <laughs> so Nancy's cut in this dream. She's taken to the hospital. Uh, they call back. They said, we're going to put her to sleep and she vehemently fights it. Uh, she also tells Connie Britton, you know who did this? Yeah. County Britain once again walks out of the <laughs> emergency room backwards. <laughs> She's here running away. Uh, Quentin springs her from the hospital and also steals some drugs along the way. Just syringes full of shit. He's not entirely sure what they are. There, we get the. This would be his Oscar scene because he goes through the motions of a man shooting up for the first time. <laughs> That's right. He watched uh, Pulp Fiction a couple times. And oh, yes, he did. So he it, knows that it prepared him for the ending. Yeah, he's not, adrenaline will help you out. So they go to the preschool. We don't know really where it is. Uh, it looks like it could be just a little bit outside of Springwood. Not entirely sure. But they get there. They go down to the cave. They find this stowed away room 
I wouldn't say it's a boiler room. It's just kind of a hidden room. Concrete it's, walls, it, no windows. Yeah, very it's some sort of isolated. basement. I mean, but they knew that. That's uh, the the parents knew because she said when, when Connie Britton was telling the story at the beginning, she's like, "Oh yeah, he it was the handyman that lived in the basement." Mm-hmm. And I guess I mean I understand after you kill a man, you don't go looking. <laughs> You're not gonna go leave evidence <laughs> where he lived. So, but when they say that they didn't find the cave. I mean, they weren't looking hard enough. No. I think they just want an excuse to kill a man. <laughs> uh, they find the cave, though. And unfortunately, uh, the initial twist of us thinking he's innocent, he's innocent, I should say, is retwisted. Right. And we it, find out, oh, no, he was guilty. He was super guilty. Yes. He very gave, disturbing scene. Yeah. But once again, the, the restraint that uh, Sam shows... Because you never, what what happens is they end up finding pictures, and they're all pictures of, uh, of Nancy, Nancy of Rooney Mara, and you don't need to see the pictures because what you see is Cal Gallner's reaction when he first sees them, and then he doesn't want to show them mm-hmm. to her, and then she grabs them, and then you see her reaction, and that's all you need. Yeah, no good can come of what they're looking at. Uh, so at this point, you know. They're just kind of like, what the fuck are we going to do? They want vengeance, but they're also very tired. And (laughs) (laughs) Uh, very relatable. We've all been there. (laughs) So they say we can just sit here and let him kill us. uh, But they say, fuck it. We're going to we're going to take him out. Well, they have to, too, because they uh, they were like, okay, they figure out that he's been fucking with them the entire time. And. This makes so much more sense than Freddy Krueger's random terrorizing in the original movie. Here, he has a purpose. He wanted them to remember, so he's been leading them to this to this place so that they could actually remember everything that happened to them. And seeing the pictures just finally makes it all click. So that is horrible. That's a horrible thing to do, and really makes Some him more a monster. Fucked up that, psychological stuff. Exactly. That's who would have thought that that gardener had it in him, <laughs> but. Uh, that makes sense. And then they ask the logical question, okay, well, what now? What does he want? <laughs> We're ready to remember. He's going to still keep coming after us. So in in this scenario, well, they have to kill him or be killed. Yeah. So we're going to go out swinging. Uh, Kyle Gallner breaks off um, the blade from one of those old school giant paper cutters uh, that makes such a satisfying noise when you execute a good cut. Call back to a different movie. Pulp Fiction, second Pulp Fiction callback. It's just like uh, uh, Bruce Willis taking the katana sword. <laughs> Jesus. He begins to doze off. Uh, Rooney Mara, Nancy dozes off as well. They're kind of intermingling with their dreams because uh, Freddy's created this dream world. He wipes out, knocks out Kyle Galdner. He cuts him deep with the claws, but doesn't kill him. Just kind of leaves him there. He says, your girlfriend's here. I'm going to have fun with her, yada, yada, yada. He explains to Nancy that I'm going to kill you now because I've waited. I've bided my time and waited until... I knew when you fall, fell asleep, you weren't going to wake up. So we cut to her thrashing and panting and writhing around on the bed. Uh, and Quentin is there, just kind of helpless to the situation. And then he remembers Pulp Fiction. He remembers Eric Stoltz and his little medical book. And he busts out a fat magic marker, draws the hole, and then takes whatever the fuck he stole from the hospital and injects it into Rooney Mara's heart, wakes her right up. Yeah, she goes, something. <laughs> and the ingenuity... The wherewithal of this young lady, she pulls out the needle and just starts stabbing Freddie in the real world with it because she was uh, she did have the uh, mental capacity to grab him and bring him back to the real world. Once he's in the real world, though, Freddie ain't shit, man. He lives. He makes it about 30 seconds. 
he gets a slash off on uh, Kyle Gallner, and then Rooney Mara takes the blade and cuts his hand off with the claw. I think you realize that without the glove, Freddy is nothing. And he turns around with like this look of horror on his face. like It's like he realizes it too. And then he looks at the camera and he goes, not again. <laughs> and she... I don't know how many times that line's been used in that franchise, but it says, welcome to my world, bitch, or in my world, bitch. Something, some iteration of world and bitch in there. And then takes the blade and slits his throat. And probably the one visual I remembered most from seeing this nine years ago was this uh, just thick black blood starts just pouring out of his throat. And he falls back and his head, his neck splits and makes a bunch of gross noises. And Kyle Gallner seems surprised that he's still alive. That he, Kyle Gallner, is alive. It's like, I, I saw the original movie. Johnny Depp didn't make it to the end. And that's that pretty much wraps us up, except for uh, Connie Britton picks her daughter up, takes her daughter home. Rooney Mara's in a sling. And then... The <laughs> She's f- like, uh, I promise, no more secrets from now on. <laughs> and the final callback, uh, in a probably the most improved callback. Complete remaster. The last shot of the original, but instead... Freddie breaks through the mirror in the front hallway of their home, and his glove goes completely through the eye holes of Connie Britton's it's head. Like, Distinguished like, actress Connie Britton. <laughs> her eyeballs pop towards the camera. It's it's like the chest bursting, except it's like a forehead bursting. It just I I did not see it coming at all, and I've seen this movie before. <laughs> and then he drags her whole body through the mirror. The mirror closes back up and is one again. And, and, then, and that is Connie Britton the entire time. Yeah. That is not, there's no clumsy cut to mannequin or a miniature like in the original. This time it's it's just, she still has his cards from shooting that scene. And then Rooney Mara gives us one last scream as any horror movie worth its weight will do. And then we go to the credits. Directed by Sam. Sam. <laughs> just call me Sam. Um, I did not, because I was still reeling from uh, Connie Britton's death. I did not pay attention to the end credits song. Uh-huh. It's it's not some bullshit song. It's like, <laughs> it's not dream a little dream of me, but it's, some, it's something where dream is in the chorus. It's just not sweet dreams, which is what I was hoping it would be. We That'd just, be good. I mean, we talked about this before. I would be astonished if there's no trailer from one of the ones from the 80s that... Doom, 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 <laughs> or even a trailer for the remake. I mean... No, because the whole idea, but you got to remember, this is a post-Dark Knight world. Everything's dark and brooding. The trailer for it was dark and brooding and, you know. Yeah, but that's a creepy song. The Manson version is. <laughs> oh, that's what they would have done. Yeah. You know, a actually, remastered version actually, of that's the too song good to have not happened. I'm going to have to look up the trailers <laughs> after this. Anyway, that was Nightmare on Elm Street, 2010. It was a remastered edition that George Lucas would have been proud of. George Lucas? Yeah. Oh, okay. You know, because he's constantly re-releasing, yeah, yeah, yeah. retooling his... Uh, Wes yeah. Craven has no time for that shit. He just <laughs> moves on to the next uh, movie. But that's why Michael Bay and Sam had to come in and give him a hand. <laughs> George Lucas. Yeah. I like the part with the cave. It explained why things happened. <laughs> All right. You ready for real talk? Yeah. This movie's straight ass, dude. Kruger! Come on out, you bastard! Damn it! You open this door, Kruger! What do you think I did? I didn't do it! 
open the fucking door! What are you doing? Norm, make sure you take it out the back! What are you doing? No, 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 no. This isn't the right way. We've got it. We've and got what is the right place. way? Our kids get on a stand and have to tell a room no, full of people no, what happened no. tonight. Right, Gwen. To call the He's police. right. This is not the this way. Ends to do this ends tonight. We are recording for Real Talk for the Elm Street remake. All right. So, A Nightmare on Elm Street. Freddy Returns. No, there's already a... No, I think it was Freddy's back. Anyway, A Nightmare on Elm Street, parentheses 2010, was released on April 30th, 2010, when summer was coming into the fray. <laughs> trying to beat the, uh, the first weekend in May. I remember... The one that always comes to mind is Origins Wolverine was they rushed the production. That's why some of the special effects weren't done just because they wanted to be in that first weekend of May. That's why they leaked that. Uh, well, they didn't leak it, but I guess there was a leak of that uh, work print. Yeah. Which the actual one didn't look too much better. Uh, budget of $35 million. Box office return of a little under $120 million, So, How is there not a sequel just with that amount of money? I don't know, and I'm very disappointed there's not for a factor that I'll get to here in a moment. Uh, again, directed by Samuel Bayer. I do believe this was his uh, feature-length debut. Definitely had his fair share of experience, though. Of course, based on the 1984 Wes Craven original film. Wes Craven was not offered the opportunity to direct it and publicly spoke out against the movie. 2010. What was the last thing he had done? Well, I don't know, but he did Scream 4 the next year. Wow. <laughs> if you want to know how we feel about episode 20 of The Contrarians, features... Uh... Scream 4 is Ben-Hur compared to this movie, dude. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. I think it's they're on about the same level. You really don't like Scream 4. <laughs> I really don't dislike this movie. We'll get into it, but... Rooney Mara hated being in this movie so much that she almost quit acting. <laughs> that is oh, come on was it a she bad experience pretty unhappy in some parts well she's supposed to so <laughs> <laughs> i thought she was a good actress now i just realized she was just being a brat yeah it's like bradley cooper and hangover three like let's just get this <laughs> over with i'm not taking the sunglasses <laughs> off uh heather langenkamp who played nancy of course in the original was offered a cameo in the film she was supposed to be the waitress in the opening diner scene, but she declined the offer. Uh, broke the midnight opening for a horror film, which I was very surprised to uh, read. 
I don't know if this is true. I just choose to believe it is. It's in the it's on the internet, Alex. Of there was consideration true. of Billy Bob Thornton and Steve Buscemi to play Freddy Krueger. Love it. I would love a Steve Buscemi, Fred Krueger. So that would be closer to England, like a revamped, updated England. Hey. And Billy Bob Thornton would just be fucking creepy even without the makeup. Oh, dude, yeah. He'd be terrifying. I'm going to kill you now. (laughs) God. (laughs) Oh, Billy Bob Thornton (laughs) licking Rooney Mara. The whole thing becomes, it has to be in Texas then. You can't have the Ohio thing. No. Jackie Earl Haley and Rooney Mara signed up for multiple films. Jackie Earl Haley's contract was for three total films and Rooney Mara's was for two. It's almost 10 years later and there's no indication of a sequel, but I say it's time to cash in those chips. I mean, their stars are as bright as ever. Just imagine it. Academy Award winner Jackie Earl Haley. Two-time Academy Award nominee Rooney Mara. And Kyle Gallner (laughs) as Quentin. Okay, got a little bit more, but I don't want to steal too much of your thunder. What my thunder? Uh, well, for your quotes. Oh, I okay. Say, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, was like, I was not in the movie, Alex. <laughs> you weren't Jesse. No, he just looks like me. That handsome. Actually, he looked like uh, Joshua Jackson. I I didn't get to mention it, but to me, it was like, well, the poor man's Joshua Jackson, <laughs> and then he got killed. Um, all right, quotes. I'm sorry. Uh, Jackie Earl Haley didn't win. He was just nominated. For uh, Little Children. Little Children? Yeah. Huh. Well, he's still great. I haven't seen that movie, but, you know. I'm just, when we're talking about it, while we're watching the movie, and I brought Little Children, because he plays a pedophile in that one, too. Mm -hmm. Uh, The bigger point of the story, well, no. The point of the story was that now he's played a pedophile in two movies. but, (laughs) But... uh, the brighter point of that story is that it brought him back. Little children brought him back, and you know, then he was. I love he did semi pro after that. He was Dukes. In semi-pro. I forgot that he was in semi pro. Yeah, yeah. He's but he's everywhere now. You just you know he shows up like in tiny roles, sometimes in bigger roles, but it's just he's always there, and it's just assuming he's a, a good person. That's kind of like a cool story, you yeah. know. Like uh, forgot he was in Lincoln. Also forgot. Yeah, but every time I see him, to I know be fair, who he is. That movie's- Incredibly forgettable. Alex, are we doing Lincoln for episode 100? Lincoln, it's, I'm sorry. Daniel Day-Lewis was good. James Spader was good. Tommy Lee Jones was there. It was just a- He was sleeping with a black woman. Plot twist. A boring movie. It was good. It wasn't- Not to top downplay Spielberg. anything about Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln. Oh, he freed his legs. Big deal. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was just, I remember being bored with it. All right. So, stop trying to derail the conversation about Nightmare on Elm Street. Well, let's get to it. Um, fresh quotes. They exist. I found them. I had to do some digging, but I found them. Christine Champ from film.com says, Freddy's back and he's slicker and more sinister than ever. I don't know that he's slicker. No. He's no. bumpier. Our conversation will reveal that the one thing that we probably agree on is that I don't care much for this Freddy Krueger. No. Uh, I mean, I ju- we just finished talking about how awesome Jackie Earl Haley is, but I meant in general, not in this movie. Zan <laughs> <laughs> um, Brooks from Guardian says, Does it matter that the plot is a little more than a cynical, machine-tooled retread of the 1984 original? Debut director Samuel Bayer was not hired to dismantle the franchise, but to shoot it afresh. Okay. That's a point. Michael Compton from Bowling Green Daily News. 
Uh, I think it's a film that succeeds within its own boundaries. For that, it deserves faint praise. It's definitely the best of the recent horror remakes. I wonder if that's Bowling Green, Ohio, or Bowling Green, Kentucky. I don't know. But, I mean, he's basically saying it's better than Friday 13th, the remake, and uh, Chainsaw Massacre, the remake. Well, yeah, Chainsaw Massacre remake's much better than this, but Friday the 13th is equally as bad as this. You wouldn't pick a favorite out of those two? Mm, this has Rooney Mara. That's kind of worth watching. The highest tier actor in the other one is some dude from that. What's that show that people love? That M- Mystical. Uh, <laughs> Mystical? Shit, it's going to bother me now. Continue. All right. And uh, finally, Michael Duquina from TheMovieReport.com says, An homage to Craven's vision that is believable, earnest in execution, and completely faithful in spirit. Supernatural was the name of the show. Oh, one of the two brothers? Yeah. Huh. Jared Padalecki is nah, in don't remember. Friday the 13th. Yeah. Uh yeah no this movie sucks no it doesn't it, oh it's real bad <laughs> it was I can't tell you if I if I ended up liking it because we just watched the original and I did not care for the it original it made me like regret burying parts of the original <laughs> last night because it, it looks so glowing in comparison this is a very special moment in the Contrarians history because we're having the Elizabethtown effect. <laughs> Both ways. <laughs> <laughs> Watching this movie made you appreciate the original more, and having watched the original made me appreciate this movie more. Oh, good lord! Yep, because I've—I mean, it's the second time I've seen it. It's your second time too. Yeah, yeah. First time I watched it, I think I've told this story on the podcast before, but it was basically me and some of my friends, uh, who when we worked at the movie theater this was before I met Julio. Uh, we had a print of it that the studio hadn't requested back yet. We were also doing Midnight's of, if I remember correctly, it was Ridley Scott's uh, Robin Hood, which was almost three hours long. So we had time to kill. So the group of us, probably six or seven of us, watched it together and kind of mystery science theatered it. So that made it really palatable and just kind of sitting here and watching it and reading about it. And then, you know, we would joke to each other, but we pretty much had to pay attention. I was like, this fucking sucks. Because you had to think about how to make it sound good when you're uh, <laughs> I guess. I don't even know if, if I did that the first half. <laughs> Everything I said was so with such condescension. I think you did okay. <laughs> um, poor Connie Britton. Dude, she gets probably the best kill in the entire movie. Okay. So let's talk about Connie Britton first. The eye candy of the movie. <laughs> Gorgeous Connie Britton. Um, uh, was... Coming off like a good actor trying to act like a bad actor. Alex, the worst actor in this movie is 10,000 better than the best actor, Johnny Depp, in the original. <laughs> <laughs> because here they're given something to do at least. Like the, the people in the original are not just not good actors, but they have nothing to like, you know, the people on the boat, they're, they're, they're floating trying to save themselves. The people on the boat are throwing like bowling balls at them. <laughs> here, at least they have lifesavers <laughs> she is she playing a bad liar i believe so <laughs> yeah I, I don't think that she's playing a good liar badly the problem is with the acting thing it's not a problem as much as it is a circumstance of time and situation that wasn't around in 84 this these people doing this movie kind of just yeah let's do this and so you get not bottom of the barrel but also those movies weren't wildly profitable yet it was kind of like well no I halloween mean, I... let me finish <laughs> <laughs> halloween 
Halloween, the first Friday the 13th, and then this came in, and then they started really making bank. So there had been kind of the anomalies so far, but horror, the slasher franchise wasn't viewed as a springboard quite yet. So I think the motivation wasn't necessarily there like it is now. I think we see middle-of-the-road actors and actresses that are in slasher movies really trying to go above and beyond because they're not sure if this is going to be their springboard. So I think that is to complement what the genre is able to do and also kind of explain why their acting was more flat in the original and why it was more over the top here. All that being said, Rooney Mar is clearly the best of the youths in the movie, and she's giving approximately 17% effort. But that's because you know how good she is. And you're like, yeah, she's not flexing any that's muscles That's very true. Here. The first time I watched this, I had no fucking idea who she was. I was just like, okay. <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, I understand. I'm not I'm not blaming, or rather, I'm Where'd not- Where'd Connie uh, Britton go? <laughs> no. What I was saying is, I'm not taking the original Nightmare to task for not having the budget to hire- better actors or to even work in like a yeah. better script. You know, it's like, I understand how it came to be. And I'm sure that if Wes Craven had known, if everybody involved had known that the movie was going to have the extremely long shelf life, the entire, mm-hmm. then they would have, you know, hey, let's make it a little better. R- Rod <laughs> might have tried to church it up a little bit. <laughs> right. But the contrast, especially watching them back to back here, is just staggering. You know, here it was just refreshing to have real actors. You have like, oh, these are people that are just, you know, when they when they say their dialogue, even when it's bad lines, because there's a lot of groaners in this one, it's just it just feels like a real movie. Whereas like in the other one, it's just like, oh, this is just something that we did with our friends fucking around. I understand why it looks like that. But in the end... Which one am I going to prefer to watch? The one that looks like a movie and feels like a movie or the one that looks like put together haphazardly with Johnny Depp like locking out <laughs> in there? Uh... Which which would be, and this will lead us into the next, you know, beyond acting, which is like I can put up with, with acting that's not that great if the script holds it, right? And I don't think that the script was there in the original Nightmare. Like we talked in the previous episode, you know, I have my issues. And for all the flaws, because this this remake has a lot of flaws, but for all the flaws, it also addressed a lot of the stuff that bothered me in the in the original. Like we were literally just and I my memory of this of this movie it was. It is very, funny, they like vague. answer a lot of the Right, it's questions almost, we had. In your case, it's almost a lot of a uh, uh, be careful what you wish for. Because <laughs> in the episode the previous episode, you were like they're not taking the pedophile angle seriously enough. And mm-hmm. then in this movie, they took it, I would say, way too seriously. Yeah. But if I have to choose between the two, I'll take this movie because I prefer it being taken seriously. And let's not get it twisted. If it's, this is a message I conveyed, then I need to make sure I correct it. I don't want heavier <laughs> leaning on pedophilia and stories in movies. It's, <laughs> my argument was that like, for the slasher genre, it it kind of takes away from some of the the fun and levity of it that he's a child molester. And then this one, to your point, though, that's what we said. Like, what we talked about, we agreed upon, there's a more interesting movie here if we paradigm shift from the campiness uh, and overall aura of a slasher movie into more of, like, 
a thriller, like a Silence of the Lambs type movie where this guy's this insane fucking pedophile type thing and is able to come back through dreams. But even still with this, they still take, they, they do up the ante on that side of it, but they still make sure that Freddy gets all his one-liners and shit. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's say Freddy for last <laughs> because, okay. that's, I, because that's the thing that we're going to agree on. Uh, I think that there's, the movies are, are working with a similar runtime. And what they yeah. choose to do with that runtime, it's it's something that really differentiates them. Because one, watching it today, it just feels like a collection of tropes and never really went anything anywhere interesting. And here, there were tropes. You know, I'm not. I, I generally don't enjoy horror movies. I'm not gonna say that I enjoyed watching this very much. But you know, like I said, if anything, I enjoyed it more in the sense of the the contrast after having watched in the original it's, first. But dude, it is a shining example of the Dark Knight Fallout of let's take something that's been done before and just put this grimy coat of darkness over it. Yes, but it's not just that it Once made again, it dark. In this, this, I'm not blaming this movie. There are, at this <laughs> point, potentially hundreds of movies that have missed what made that special in the dark night and why it doesn't make your movie special. Yeah. I think that you can have this movie, you can have a nightmare on street remake. That's not as dark as this one, that it maybe it's similar in tone to the original and it's still done better. You have better actors, a better screenplay, you know, a better story. But the fact that they went so dark in this one is not one of the things that bothers me because I understand that point of view. It at least decided this the is where we're going to go. The script doesn't balance that, though. It doesn't balance how dark it gets in the end. But I'm okay with that because, it, again, it's the escalation. Like, it progresses to getting that dark, you know? And, and I think that when they were making this movie, they were very aware of the fact that most people watching it, it like, there are no surprises, mm-hmm. you know? So you already know going in that Freddy Krueger is a pedophile that got vigilante justice served to him and all that stuff. So in that sense, you know, it's already dark <laughs> going in. Even before you start watching the remake, you already know what you're in for unless you're about to, like, you know, revamp the whole thing. So so instead, what do they do? They actually gave us some time with the parents, you know, a window, a glimpse into their, you know, it's more than we got in the original. I would argue probably not enough because to me, the more interesting movie, like we said in the last episode, was the one about the parents mm-hmm. doing this, right? But at least you get to see it. I, I even like the fact that the parents themselves don't know if they did the right thing. Yeah. The fact that they end up thinking, well, he might have been innocent. Well, shit happens, you know? And it's turning it into a sort of investigation, given the character's something to do other than just wait around for Freddy to kill him, it really made the movie work a lot better for me. They have a much better plan than whatever Nancy and Johnny Depp are doing in the original. You know, they have... Nancy and Johnny Depp come up with this idea of uh, bringing him back, but they don't really get to do anything with it until the very end of the movie. And we're really not given much reason as to why they don't trust other people. Here, I can totally tell because the movie's set up in a way that you don't trust any of the grown-ups. You know, I understand why she wouldn't Mm-hmm. Get Connie Britton or uh, you know the principal dude. Why they wouldn't ask for their help? Because it's the movie has taken a, a stronger stance in making them these figures that are not going to be any help. So I can buy that now. It's just up to Kyle Gallner and Rooney Mara to just do it, and they go in their investigation, and the story moves, and there's stuff that happens. And so, as far as like how the movie is structured, regardless of the darkness, it works for me better as a story. To me, it. I could uh, buy some of what you're saying if it tried to make itself its own movie where 
it seems like every fucking 10 minutes they're trying to do some direct copy to remind you of the original. I think this will also come into play, and this will be a good part of the end of this sandwich when we do this with Texas Chainsaw Massacre back-to-back, because please do not construe this as me saying that the 2003 remake is in the same (laughs) galaxy as the original, but it went out of its way to make itself its own movie. And I think even there's only like one iconic recreation of a shot, but it's kind of consequential to the situation. Whereas this so unnecessary, the shot where they recreate him coming through the wall and shit. It it just seems like they're checking to remind you consistently that, Hey, this is a remake. I, I think the reason it didn't bother me is because it's not in my mind, obviously. I don't like the original. So to me, it's like, all right, cool. So you're getting like the cool stuff from the original and, and just basically it's not adding cool. it. It's funny like how the practical effects look better and scarier than the shit they do with CG in this. I don't know. I mean... The, the thing of him coming through the wall looks so shitty. That was... I don't know about shitty. It definitely looked... In the uh, remake, uh, uh, in the original, it looks fucking awesome. It looks it looks great in the original. And the remake, it didn't bother me. The quality of how it looked didn't bother me. It just bothered me that it really went nowhere. Yeah, it's just uh, in there to be in there. Right. Yeah. But but it's like, I think that's the exception to that. Most of the callbacks, like I think it's corner. I think most of the callbacks is like start as a callback and then they go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate getting, you know, I really like having the, the bathtub scene start because it only starts the way it's, you know, it was yeah. in the original. Then it goes somewhere else. And, to me, that's fun. You know, it's like, oh, you're you're taking that really cool shot from the original and just kind of like putting in this movie to, so that it's you know it ties it together. I I don't mind that. It would bother me a lot more if I considered the original a better movie. Like let's say if uh you know Joel Schumacher's movies were stealing shots from Tim Burton's movies, <laughs> you know that would bother the, me. <laughs> the Batwing goes up into the moon, turns sideways. It, and... Perfect example. Like it doesn't happen, but if something like that happened in Batman and Robin, I'll be like, fuck you. I mean that's. <laughs> You know, we love that the original Batman, and you're you're on a different wavelength. So, uh, I did watch this movie with Reed, and like I could hear him audibly groan every time they did something like that. But that's because of the franchise. I completely understand yeah. that. I mean, if you have also if you have uh, a stronger connection to the original, then this I can see how it would just bother someone like a lot more because yeah. then they're messing with your baby. Yeah, I have no connection, especially. Here's a, the funny thing. So I saw it once before. I, I don't remember if I went to theater or if I screened it, but basically I saw it in a movie theater and I was kind of just underwhelmed. But that was before I had actually been able to watch as an adult the original Nightmare beginning to end. So I didn't have the experience that I just had today uh-huh. where with the original Nightmare fresh in my memory, watching the movie is a complete comparison. Now, what does that mean? That maybe if you're someone that's not familiar at all with the franchise, you are... Pretty underwhelmed, too. I mean... Dude, still, all the things I said yesterday, all the gripes and foibles I had with it, I would still watch the original a hundred times again before I'd watch this. Well, I mean... I pretty much watched this because I had to for work. I don't blame you in that sense because it's not a pleasant movie. The second half is just... that, that. And it's a long scene when he just has her on on, on the bed and mm-hmm. he's just basically getting ready to rape her. Yeah. That was just, you know, I understood why the movie was going there and I partly admire its commitment to, you know, just being that nasty. Mm-hmm. But it was extremely unpleasant. You know, so, yesterday we were making fun of just like, oh, well, you know, everybody's an idiot in this movie. But The um, diehards, it's always the main complaint has been, and even though, like, I brought up my issues with his backstory in the 
original series. I mean, Freddy's always been lighthearted. It's supposed to be like a fun movie. That's and the biggest complaint was this is like the Dark Knight effect. It's like the Dark Knight was a filter on Instagram at that time and movies just put it on. So it just immediately brings it down and brooding and dark. And Do you think that this would work better for you if Jackie Earl Haley was better in the movie? <laughs> because that's the biggest problem I have with the movie is his performance. And not the tone of it, just he the makeup. You, just... you can't. It's like fucking Arnold not being in a Terminator movie. <laughs> like, no, it, it's... It... Even if it's the exact same movie with Robert England and he he takes like a darker approach, I'd be interested in watching that. But yeah, um, okay. So getting to Freddy, yeah, it just it none none of that works. It, his Rorschach voice, the idea of making him look like an actual burn victim, which I know I said on the episode yesterday, it's just like well, missed the point there. Well, I can buy the 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 look if it allowed him to emote. The problem is it looks like he has too, a cardboard mask the entire time. Oh yeah, there's no emotion or anything like that. But also, you know, going through the franchise, that's part of it too. Is like Freddy's able to alter his appearance because he's a nightmare figure. And I did, I mean, from that standpoint too, they didn't do nearly enough in this. It's just kind of like here's this child molester that died, and now he comes back in your dreams. Well, because he think does that, really nothing supernatural. He just kills people with his glove and shit. I think that the creepiness was more on, in the they went for just the attitude was fucking creepy. You know, just that you definitely got the. It sex was creepy molester. how in 1996 he dressed like it was the 50s. <laughs> that is such a weird choice for the flashback. Uh, we didn't even get to touch on it really in Contreras Corner because my my argument was gonna be like, oh, it's all you know a dreamlike quality. So it's Brad Pitt's recollection of what happened with Bruce Lee. It's uh, <laughs> it's Connie Britton. She suffered a trauma too. So in her mind, it's all kind it's of flashback to 96. And she has to make it. She has Jackie to make Earl it. Haley's uh, like, what, what's, the, what's the scoop? Well, the camera, the bee's knees, like, the camera they're using with the, with the bulb, yeah. the flash. <laughs> It's like so they're on the red carpet. Stupid, yeah. <laughs> it's like the opening of Gone with the Wind. And <laughs> Did you hear? Truman won. Over <laughs> here, old boy. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it's uh, yeah, th- I, not it, good. Jackie O'Haley, it, it didn't work for me. And I think, uh, I mean, like I said, he's a good actor. So it was just whatever. Robert England he- was like all for him doing it. Everything I've always read was he was like happy to yeah, but- pass the proverbial torch. But I mean, that doesn't really mean anything. Well, the, at the same time, that would be incredible for his only meal ticket for him to just be like, "Fuck Nightmare on Elm Street." <laughs> next, next year at Comic Con, he's like, "Nope." <laughs> he's there and dressed up as one of his roles that he had as an extra. Uh, yeah, Jackie Earl Haley is a good actor, but this is like in a certain sense beneath him, and so I feel like. And not not the idea of playing a, a killer or like not the idea of even being Freddy Krueger, but like this movie and this script kind of feel beneath him. And it feels like a misguided interpretation of the character. Like it seems like there was something lost in translation between what the writer and director and what he wanted to do, because it just seems kind of like in certain elements that he's on kind of a different wavelength. So to me, I, I think... He's just going for monster, right? He's mm-hmm. doing the voice and uh, and just wearing a creepy mask in a way, and it, it, not really much in the way of 
not even, I, I mean, I don't, it's not that I miss the humor, but you're right. The one-liners don't work. Like the few one-liners that he has are actually, uh, it's okay that they're repulsive, but I think they're even like too repulsive. Yeah. Because I don't know if they were trying to be funny or they were trying to be really creepy. You know, he has all these like double entendres in the third act when he's going after Nancy. It's just, uh, but. It's totally inconsistent. Yeah, I mean, there's a, this is not a movie where that set up the mood for one-liners. Yeah. And if the one-liners are supposed to unsettle you, I guess they achieved that, but I don't think they were necessary. No. I think that it would be the movie would be better off without them. And I think that he would just be creepier if he talked like a normal guy and if he looked... Okay, so he doesn't have to look like the original Freddy, but he needs to... I need to be able to see, recognize some sort of humanity, you know, in his... That would make him scarier if he looked like like a person instead of a monster. Well, Robert England. Like I, when I always think of Freddy, I think of the situations where, uh, like scenes and moments where he gets into situations where he's in danger, and that his face when his eyes would bug out and like he would be scared. Like that's very memorable to me. And here, yeah, it's just like a PS One or N sixty four game where the character's speaking but nothing moves on their face. It's just their neck and head move around. Yep, nailed it, <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> The we talked about the NES game in the last episode. They just pulled that Freddy and put him on. <laughs> pulled the sprite out and just kind of yeah. put a, a glossy layer over it. Uh, this should not surprise anyone that was paying any attention to film in 2010. Warner Brothers wanted the movie to be converted to 3D in post production a few weeks before the movie's release. Oh man, that final shot with Connie Britton. Yeah. <laughs> Producers argued that the film wasn't shot with 3D cameras and 3D wouldn't look good enough. Didn't stop almost every other studio that year. Uh-huh. Uh, after a heated debate, the producers and Warner Brothers came to the agreement the movie would not be converted to 3D. Good from what them. I yeah, from what I read, Michael Bay was the big proponent of just no, fuck you. This is not going to be a 3D movie. Most people should have taken that stance <laughs> in the. I was going to say the early 2000s, but no, I guess the early 2010s. In the wake of Avatar. Yes. Yeah, because I remember there for like. Was it 2010? Like one of the only movies that was shot with actual three dimensional cameras was Jackass. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> and it looked I awesome. Did, I did watch it in 3D and I remember liking, you know, how it looked. So, yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Uh, and then just kind of for contextualization, uh, Samuel Bear, I guess his big claim to fame was he directed the music video for Smells Like Teen Spirit. All right. And uh, Blind Melons, No Rain. I think visually he does fine here. I mean, yeah. it, it's just a matter of. Uh, uh, you know, like I said, my bigger problem is my biggest problem with the movie is Freddy, and I think that that is something that is conceptually wrong. It's not just on Jackie Earl Haley; it's on him and the people that were directing his performance. So that would be my main thing. Now, the other stuff, you know, tone wise, and and you know, I think that that's where, like I told you, and uh, when we finish the movie, we might have to agree to disagree. <laughs> it's just to me, just a misguided mess. It's just a a wet fart. Like, it's just when it was over, I was just like, ugh. you feel dirty when it's over. Like you feel dirty from the, the, the source material and not the source <laughs> material. You feel dirty for the story that's told. And then also just like watching the movie be made and also the watching it through the guise of what we know now is an easier. Like, I'm like, Rooney, run away, get away from this. But I would still rather sit through this again than watch the Friday the 13th remake. Okay. So you've decided. Or no, you you said they're both equally bad, but you, they're you're terrible. Just... But like, this doesn't make me mad. But that's because you have a you have more of an attachment to Friday Thirteenth. Well, and also it's even like this is just bad. That's like maddening. Okay, see, it 
from what I remember, because I've only seen that remake once yeah. in theaters, I never got the sense that that movie was about anything other than, well, we'll just see Jason put a new shiny coat, paint on him, and then we'll see the kills. And Correct. that's it. Like, you know, and that's where I would, if, if I'm correct in my Just memory, minus any of like the charm or childlike glee. Right. And so you could say the same about this movie. Like, no, no charm or childlike glee. <laughs> but at least <laughs> it was it was going for something, you know, which I think, you know, whether they got there or not or how successful they were, it's up for debate. I think what I'll say, the biggest compliment I could say in in different hands, in a different circumstance, this particular project could have succeeded. I just for me, there were too many failings with bad acting and just misguided it seems like the movie almost has like an identity crisis. Like, do we want to be a slasher movie or like this serious, like psychological thriller type? Thing? I think it's tricky because I think, at least to me, the original Nightmare on Elm Street is kind of a sacred cow. Th- that's not very good. No you sacred know? cows on here. <laughs> no, we took it to task yesterday. <laughs> yeah, but but you know what I mean. So so then when you have to do a remake, you find yourself in the really awkward position of having to come up with a way to honor it because so many people love it even though there's so much to improve on it. Mm-hmm. And so, like I said, at least I'll commend them for having, like taking a sort of approach to it. Dude, you're going to have massive uh, Elizabethtown syndrome with uh, the Texas Chainsaw remake. Having gone through this and everything, you be like, yeah, it wasn't that bad. Because people hate it. I I also haven't Harley seen... Well, in there. I haven't seen the original... Just bouncing uh, around. The original Chainsaw uh, Massacre in a long time. But when I watched it, it was again. It was not a pleasant experience. But I came out of it saying, "Okay, I understand. Mm-hmm. You know, I I get it. I, I I understand why people like this movie. Why people hold this movie in high regard." And so, again, not to bury Nightmare on Elm Street, but yeah, from a filmmaking perspective, there's a lot more wow and oh and like moments of understanding with Texas Chainsaw Massacre than there is with uh, Nightmare on Elm Street in the remake. You mean like the. Comparing the oh uh, no, no, no you're talking about the, the, two the experience of watching okay the, the, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah gotcha gotcha yeah yeah I I'm I'm honestly <laughs> the remake is not it's something I would call a cinematic achievement but it's well still no I good. thought you were saying that when watching the remake of Chainsaw Massacre there were moments of insight and wow regarding the original like oh. the remake made you see the original and even different light that made you appreciate it even to more. to be fair every time i watch that movie i'm like born again i'm just like oh god <laughs> this is so incredible i to be honest i'm kind of dreading watching the original because it was so it was such an uncomfortable movie watching experience reed took his friend to the 40th anniversary screening at the draft house who had never seen it before and to me i've joked that they could do a quote along for that and i'd be game because that, that I know that movie page and verse. So I think he was a bit mortified at me and Reed kind of chuckling and quoting a lot of it. Cause when it was over, he was just sitting there like, uh, that was not what I was expecting at all. <laughs> he thought you were taking him to like the Rocky horror show or something like that kind of I communal think, experience. Or he expected it to be like a, an original nightmare or Friday the 13th, just goofy. Like, mm. cause it's not goofy. It's, Mm-mm. it's very blunt and in your face. But we will cross the Texas Chainsaw Bridge when we get to it. Closing thoughts here on the Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, Myself, for as much as I kind of, I used the word earlier, lamented about the original and some of my qualms with it. The purpose of the franchise was always what most of Wes Craven's intentions were, were to make, I don't know if it was necessarily his intention, but people would always finance his movies, date movies and things like that and things you can take a date to and get scared and 
come closer, but then you guys laugh at some of the silly shit and stuff like that. To me, my biggest qualm with the nightmare thing is obviously the backstory is kind of makes the approach a bit disjointed just for my take personally. I will not include Last House on the Left in that. Uh, he made that movie, and I, I've always thought that movie is just absolute garbage. I, I think it's... How do you I, feel about the remake? I didn't even waste my time. I know Aaron Paul's in it. Uh, so. I've seen the remake. I haven't seen the original. I watched the original when I was in college because, you know, people heralded it as this, you know, landmark in horror filmmaking, and it's it's disgusting. It's like a borderline snuff film. I, I don't use the word often. I hate that movie. The remake... It's not like that. That's kind of what I, I was wondering. I watched it mainly out of uh, curiosity, mm-hmm. just because I had heard so much about the original. And I was, I was wondering if they were going to tone it down or what they were going to do. And it's just kind of, I don't know. It, it, I was underwhelmed, I guess. Yeah. When he got to the 80s, though, is more of what I'm talking about. And that's kind of where he started. And so from that point on, it, the Nightmare franchise was always or, uh, supposed to be kind of more lighthearted and goofy. Like, there's one... Uh, a guy's reading a comic book and he falls asleep and he turns into a comic. He like goes into the comic book and then Freddie just cuts him into ribbons. And I think that's the third one, right? Dream Warriors. Yeah. yeah. So he's still a pedophile though. Th- that's my point. That's <laughs> that. It, I have fun watching these. And then in the back of my head, it's like a tick and I'm just like, Oh yeah, I shouldn't be having fun with this. That's my moral quandary with really enjoying some of those movies. Moving along to this, it fails on so many aspects of being a nightmare on Elm street movie, it succeeds in some of the things that you and I were questioning about the original yesterday, which makes it interesting. And like I said, in different hands in more responsible hands or hands that cared more, I think this could be something interesting, even if it's just kind of the nightmare is a germ of the idea and they kind of take it off to something else. Cause I think there is some interesting stuff there to make a real, dark psychological horror movie. I know I referenced Silence of Lambs earlier because that kind of came to mind. But with this, and I say care more because these are only done with the intention of making money. So I think... I'm sure somebody cared. Clearly the people who wrote it were like, hey, we've got this idea to put a spin on it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that... I mean, you look... The macro picture... The studio watched it and said, hold on. Yeah, exactly. The studio, you know, like whoever... Connie. (laughs) God... Whoever and came she up, walked out of the room backwards. <laughs> whoever came up with the idea of that shot of uh, uh, Jackie Earl Haley in flames ripping his jacket off, so you can, you know, that's like bad, yeah. bad stuff. Uh, and the movie like crescendos or, when he's doing it, it's right? Like, it's just, that's like the kind of stuff that's bad. But at the same time, I would, I mean, I would give uh, Sam, I would, Sam, Sam, <laughs> I would give Sam the benefit of the doubt. I mean. More than that, even, you know, it's like a guy, his first time directing a movie and he just, I do believe that he was trying his best. And mm-hmm. then uh, I don't know how much of it was like studio notes. I don't know if how much of it was just, you know, swing and a miss as far as like the things that I don't like. But... I don't think anyone was intentionally trying to tank this. I think it's just kind of the sum of its parts and the parts were not the nicest in the shed. Yeah, I, I, I think that, but there were some of the of the reviews, like the quotes that I saw that they were just even more cynical, you know, and they were just saying like, no, they just knew that, it was going to make money, so they, it, it didn't matter. You know, they like, knew it was just going to make money. It would have been like the Friday the 13th remake with like <laughs> no effort at all. Yeah. A kid, in a, a, a child in that movie, he was probably like 22 or something, but a kid in there, there's a, a scripted line. Someone got paid presumably a large amount of money to, to write a line where someone says, your tits are spectacular. <laughs> it was ad-libbed, Alex. <laughs> then they, then Jason fact- should have really offed that guy. <laughs> All right. I think this is, uh, well, well, until I'm proven 
different. I don't know of two people that on two consecutive nights have gone this deep into the Nightmare <laughs> on Elm Street franchise. Did uh, We didn't give a, a score to the original last night, so let's do both of them together. Uh, B plus, and this is um, for the original. No, 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 no. Solid B. Get that, get that plus out of there. <laughs> a B, and then this D minus. Was it lower than a B last night before you watched this? No, I think I always, you know, uh, appreciate it and know I can understand it for what it is type of thing. I think what that is is easy to poke holes in. And, you know, there's a lot of things that I love that I will consistently point out at the plot holes in pro wrestling, for example. (laughs) Um, I think, yeah, my current opinion and mindset on it is definitely been raised by watching this, but I'll stay with a a consummate B for that uh, perennial B. And then, yeah, this is like a D minus. It's not quite to the level of, I would call it a failing movie. It is not. It is better than Christmas with the Cranks. I wasn't even going to (laughs) ask. It crossed my mind earlier when we finished the movie and you were visibly upset. Uh, But then as as the conversation went on, I was like, no, he actually... (laughs) Yeah, we wouldn't have had this kind of conversation with about Christmas with the cranks. I mean, in fact, we didn't. <laughs> um, I was I was looking up on Letterbox to see how much I gave it when I rewatched it. Man, I thought it was uh, not so long ago, but it was in 2016. I rewatched it. I gave it two and a half back then, and that's how I for feel this right one. Now. No, for the original. original. I think it stays at two and a half for me. I can appreciate. Like in context, I appreciate why it's such a big deal, and I think there's good ideas, but there's a lot of the execution that just gets in the way of me enjoying it. Um, this one, I'm gonna go 0.5 extra, so it gets three stars. I appreciate, <laughs> listeners, if you could see Alex's face right now, uh, I I appreciate everything that tried to do, and uh, and a lot of it worked for me. Uh, it really just scratched all those itches that I was having during the original Nightmare. It, you know, like those. I'm pining for the day several years from now when it's in the middle of the night and you're watching this on like HBO 2 or something like that. And then you're <laughs> like, this movie fucking sucks. It was only good because I watched it. And <laughs> Entirely possible. I also believe that it's not just because we watch it back to back, but generally just because I know I'm aware of the, of the original in detail. You know, mm-hmm. I think that somebody that comes in fresh that this is the first time in Elm Street movie that they watch, they might enjoy it. Probably they wouldn't hate it the way you do, or they wouldn't be as disappointed as you are. I don't hate it. it. I know. You last hate, house last on the left. left. Thank you. Uh, but they definitely, I don't think they would enjoy it in the way that I did, because like I said, part of my enjoyment comes from just seeing the improvement. Yeah. If I wasn't seeing that as an improvement, I would just be like, just do better. <laughs> yeah. In this case, it's like, well, they did better. <laughs> they just, there's still room for growth be funny too someone that like watched the original this and then the remake and be like you know those are comparable and then goes in and friday the 13th watches the original and the remake and like wait a minute this is nothing like (laughs) he's not even in the movie (laughs) all right so we recorded last night the only plug i have winding down i mean we have the uh the consistent plugs of the festive years who provide our opening and closing tracks, opening uh, Last Stand, closing Summer 99, thefestiveyears.com for all your festive years needs. We've got our main man who works on our logo, or d- created our logo, I should say. Yeah, Hans Roth Geeser. He does logos, he does comics, 
He writes, if you know Spanish, there's about five novels written by Hans. I don't know if you can get them online, but uh, you can definitely get them in Peru. And uh, he has a podcast, Nación Combi, that's in Spanish. It's about Peruvian stuff, mostly politics. You can find that on any podcatcher. He also has a podcast in English called uh, Living in Peru. That's about immigrants to Peru. Uh, that one you can find on iVox. Uh, and he's on Twitter, at Mildemonios, M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S. You can also email him at mildemonios at hotmail.com if you want to just talk about stuff, asking about his Trapper Keeper. <laughs> but yeah, uh, as far as plugs... We might make this a constant over the next few episodes. We're talking about our our friend and former guest, Reed, because he has love for the Nightmare franchise, but also his uh, annual uh, sci-fi film festival in Austin is coming up. Uh, The Other Worlds Austin Film Festival, December 5th through 8th. You can uh, get the info and buy your badge at Mm otherworldsfilmfest.com. Alex and I have both attended before it's good a really time. good time they have a really interesting selection i already bought my batch for this year i got the supernova so i'm actually gonna be able to take the entire weekend off so i'll be there all four days uh just watching sci-fi movies hanging oh, yeah. out with sci-fi fans doing the occasional plug in a conversation about our podcast probably what sci-fi movies have we done passengers of course <laughs> yeah i was trying to think of something funny to say and it just blanked uh alien 3 alien 3 way back way in back the day then. yeah yeah uh, for my plug, uh, something I stumbled upon at work today. It provided good background noise. So it's on YouTube. You can listen to it or uh, watch it as well. There's a YouTube channel, uh, Triple Jump. It's a video game review channel. We'll link to the video. But uh, it's about an hour and 15 minutes long, and they rank every Batman video game from worst to best. And it's a 56-item list. Wow, I didn't realize there were that many. Oh, yeah. And that's, the, that's not including, like, they... Explain beforehand why like a dozen aren't going to be included. And then, you know, some of those are on multiple platforms and things like that. So it's extremely comprehensive. Very interesting. Kind of had issue because one of their top five is an arcade game. And I think that sometimes is kind of a weird, Mm. wiry, uh, high wire to walk. So but it's a fascinating listen. If you're a Batman fan, which obviously I am. I've mentioned The Dark Knight about a dozen times in this episode alone. Julio is a big fan. I'd recommend it if you're a video game fan. Uh, it's also an awesome trip down nostalgia lane because I've played maybe half the games they mention in there. And some of them, like Batman Returns for Game Gear, I remember playing the shit out of that when I was a little kid. Tiny, Give me a tiny spoiler. Is the bottom of the list, like the worst Batman game, the Tim Burton Batman NES game? No. Huh. No, the one, I don't know if it was the worst, but the one I remember that stuck with me that is really low on the list is uh, Batman Beyond Return of the Joker for N64. Didn't play it. I didn't know it existed, actually. Uh, which is funny because they have the one for the PlayStation like much higher up in the list. <laughs> but um, yeah, that was around that era of really bad N64 superhero games that, of course, will always be accented with Superman. But fun video to watch. Good nerd shit. Quality banter. Give it a view. Give it a listen. Do your thing. So what is it called? Uh, the video is called Every Batman Video Game Ranked from Worst to Best, and this is on the Triple Jump channel. I'll check that out. Now, uh, if you guys want to support in the filmmaking, in addition to going to Other Worlds Austin, <laughs> maybe you don't live in Austin and you can't make the trip. <laughs> uh, our buddy Mark has made has released his second feature on Amazon. It's called Bloodsuckers Planet. It's a 
throwback sci-fi movie. I was talking to Alex about it earlier. And I was trying, I was having trouble explaining because I'm not a connoisseur of the 60s, 70s sci-fi movies. But uh, to paraphrase, when our writer in Reality Bites, I know one when I see one. <laughs> <laughs> so that's uh, that's kind of like Mark's thing. And he, it, it's a lot of fun. I was I was there as part of the crew for about half of the shoot, I think, maybe a little less than that. And and even then, I was still surprised when I saw the final product. Uh, I went to the cast and crew screening. And now the Blu-ray and DVD are available to order on Amazon. So I ordered the Blu-ray. Uh, as soon as I get it, I'll be posting a picture of it and being a little uh, fanboyish about it. But if you don't want to buy the Blu-ray or the DVD, you can just stream it on Amazon Prime. It's like $2, I think. And it's nice. it's 60 minutes, 65 minutes. It's just like... Maddest rule all the way. Hell yeah. And and it's fun if you like like really weird, fun stuff. All right. Winding down here. I always forget I had it pulled up here the year Daniel Day-Lewis won for Lincoln. <laughs> I always forget that like it's my built-in resentment towards that movie because that was the year the master Joaquin Phoenix was up and he should oh, have won. Oh. So that, that explains it. So on that note, <laughs> go watch the master. <laughs> Uh, that's gonna do it. Watch for- Bloodsuckers Planet first because if you start with the master, you gotta be too tired. Oh right? yeah, you're, you're gonna be done for the day. Yeah. Bloodsuckers Planet. Watch this Batman video, it, and then and then watch the master. You'll kind of hit all <laughs> all the major pinpoints of your day. All the emotions, <laughs> the whole spectrum. Uh, for our next episode, it will be a bonus episode where we dip into um, an original source material that we previously reviewed a remake of, and that's going to be the original Walter Mitty. Uh, We'll get back into our numeric episodes here on our remakes arc, moving to the French film, The Untouchables, just absolutely delightful movie. It feels almost like for a movie that's The Untouchables, for a movie that's so such a big part of our movie conversations, it feels like, I don't think that we've talked about it enough on the podcast. It feels like, you know what I mean? Yeah. You and I and most of our film friends, like, think very highly of that movie and yet unlike other movies that we th- we think highly of it hasn't really like bled into the it's culture not, of the contrarian it's not my good time i don't it, talk about it, it incessantly exactly. yeah. yeah that might change maybe after after oh it's the- so good so excited to watch that and then the remake that got canned that uh panned rather uh with brian cranston and kevin hart so we'll see how that goes and then finishing off our sandwich with the texas chainsaw massacre both the original and the 2003 remake but for now, that concludes Nightmare on Elm Street. And that will do it for the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time. That's some of the day.